0: Hello and welcome to the Perfect Strangers Podcast. I, of course, am your host, Furby Montano, and I want to thank you for joining us today. We have a fantastic show lined up for you today, but before we do, this show is being brought to you by Raycon. Hey, what do you get when you mix platinum-selling artists, tastemakers, and tech nerds who are tired of spending too much on high-quality audio products? You get Raycon. Raycon a company founded to show the world that premium sound can be affordable. We're not big tech. However, we're making a giant impact by designing products that put people first. They've got the sound you want, the comfort you need, and the price you can handle. We are Raycon, and this is the end of audio as you know it. They have earbuds starting at a very reasonable $79.99, and today... If you use the code BESTFIT at checkout, hey, they're going to give you 20% off your purchase. Again, that's code BESTFIT, B-E-S-T-F-I-T, Raycon. All right, so on today's show, we have the wonderful Peyton Dale on the show with us. Now, Peyton, for those of you who don't know, is a celebrity stylist who is just one of the coolest people on the face of the earth. She is a TikTok superstar. She is a stylist. She gives amazing tips to anybody and everybody who asks her questions. Just Peyton is so awesome. She's the host of her own television show called The Peyton Project. And I'll just let you hear her talk because she is just one of the coolest people. I can't say enough about this woman. She is just super friendly, super down to earth, very approachable. And she is a really big champion of body positivity in the fashion industry, which is something that's very much needed. But I'm not going to waste any more time talking. Ladies and gentlemen, Peyton Dale, thank you again for listening. All right. Hello. Nice Nice to meet you. Hi, nice to e-meet you, I guess. Yes. (laughs) How's, uh, how are things? How's, how's life? How's everything? You know,
1: uh, things are good. I don't know when this is going to air, but it's the day after Thanksgiving. And as a Beatles fan, I'm like legally obligated to sit in front of my TV for like the next eight hours and, uh, watch the new Get Back documentary. So I've been doing that today. All is well.
0: Yeah, I saw that on, on Instagram. I was very excited for you because I know you love the Beatles, (laughs) so... (laughs)
1: That's like real friendship. You're like, oh, I'm so happy for her.
0: <laughs> I mean, I love the Beatles. I thought that I was a big fan, and then, uh, I, you know, I met, I, I saw you, and I was like, Oh yeah, no, I'm, um, I'm, a, I'm a novice Beatles fan at, at best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: So that's yeah. what we've been doing: I've been hanging out, eating leftover pie, and watching the Beatles show again. And uh, Tobin, my husband, has been like, "We're not watching this again for the third time." I'm like, "You're not." <laughs> I am
0: you're like you go have fun in the other room then because I'm gonna be right here because I'm right here so that's
1: where I've been. <laughs> I think he's excited for me to go back to work tomorrow he's like good I want to watch this anymore <laughs>
0: <laughs> so for uh obviously you're new to the podcast uh, yes so why don't you tell people kind of who you are what you what you're about what, hi people who, who, is, who is Peyton <laughs> I'm
1: Peyton Dale, and I am a wardrobe stylist based in Nashville, Tennessee, and I am TikTok famous, I guess, now.
0: Very TikTok famous. (laughs) Which
1: is uh, interesting, but I started during the beginning of the pandemic, I started giving away style advice to people on TikTok, and that turned into an entirely different branch of my business. So here we are a year and some change later.
0: What's it like being like tiktok famous like you because you're you're probably one of the people i know that has like the biggest following the i what's what's that been like for you
1: well it's funny because in my family like in my family it's like saying i'm really big in europe like just trust me because you don't like people don't understand it until you're like i've only been recognized in public twice from like tiktok which has been interesting and both times were like they were very enthusiastic that's awesome. And, uh, but in like a scary way. So, <laughs> but then you have to explain to people, like I make these one minute videos on the it's like what, you know, you know, of all people, like I make these one minute videos on the internet and people like them. And now we're here.
0: I, I always love your stuff because you go like, like super in depth, but in a very quick and easy way for people to understand, which I feel like <laughs> that is such a skill to do. like,
1: I try to be digestible. Sorry. Yeah. No, hey. you're fine. Arrow
0: arrow wants to be on too arrow's like mom (laughs) hold on hey can you
1: not cool
0: cool cool all right i have two dogs too i had to kick them out because one of them barks every time (laughs) the wind blows and yeah
1: can you just like sit and be like Arrow? can you just like not can we not let's not do that
0: yeah (laughs) okay Is uh, Arrow the boy or the girl?
1: Arrow's the boy, it's and the then Bow's the girl. So we have Bow and Arrow. And then when I do TikTok Live, they always make an appearance. So they're – are you also TikTok famous, bud? You are. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so it's weird because, like, in my real life, I style, like, musicians and, you know, like, actual famous people. And then I started – during COVID, I started styling people on TikTok – and like virtually so now i have these two businesses that all stem out of uh, style but they're just they're extremely different so it's been it's been really interesting it's been good it's kept my chops up but it also is a little weird to like have i think it's like 107k at this point just like know who i am and know things about me uh because i had two friends in high school so it feels very weird to be uh, tiktok famous
0: i I can relate i mean i'm not famous but i can relate with the two friends in high school then Then all of a sudden you're
1: like i i keep feeling like it's um like it's a prank like i got nominated as the homecoming queen as a prank so it feels like that like any minute now uh it's going to be like oh just kidding we don't actually like you
0: is it imposter syndrome a bitch
1: yeah but i had a mentor of mine tell me that the only people that actually do anything have imposter syndrome and the ones that never do are sociopaths so that's fair at least we're not sociopaths
0: i hope i'm not a sociopath but i don't think sociopaths would know they're a sociopath right we have that going for us (laughs) (laughs)
1: that's awesome tiktok um, fame not a sociopath it's great
0: I mean, kind of a big. My name's Furby. They named the toy after me. It's just (laughs) no big deal. I think I do that joke once an episode now. It's it's good. Yeah,
1: you should. You absolutely (laughs) should. You should just fully write that all the way to the bank.
0: I know. I'm going to. I I plan on that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Or you could have sued for the uh, rights to the name, which would also have been good. Like back in 1997,
0: that would have been great. They, They spelled it differently, though. The bastards yeah it's I know different than my name like come on you could try
1: having a famous football player with your name bro
0: come on yeah, yeah mm-hmm. it's real fun so much fun not gonna lie the first time you liked one of my videos I saw Peyton and I was like oh Manning and then like for no a, a second, so I was like, sorry oh, it's not Peyton Manning it's cool I'm, I'm
1: so sorry to disappoint you I'm so sorry
0: I did have Ed Sheeran like one of my videos though that was kind of oh cool.
1: that's cool reject weasley brother that's great
0: i know i i thought it was a prank but i saw the check mark and i was like oh this is (laughs) nice okay not to brag tiktok fame yeah i just you know i'm not to brag but i am bragging (laughs) brag please all day long but how did how did you get into styling what 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 took you how how did it's a long you were doing to, to what you're doing now
1: it's a long story, but I'll try to keep it as concise as possible I'll Just treat this like it's a TikTok video. Um, I originally was a- an actor and I did movies and I did theater and I was going to college to become a theater teacher. Um, I hate school and I'm not great with children, but I had a really good theater teacher when I was in high school and I thought, I'll just do that and I'll just make movies and do the whole thing. Um, the problem with being an actor for me is that I just kept getting all these like uh has anyone ever told you you look like Zoe Deschanel. and that would be the only parts I was offered. And it's like you can only play so many quirky girls with bangs before you want to like blow your brains out. Um so I kind of was just doing like the waiting tables, working retail, babysitting, like all the odds and ends jobs to make ends meet. And I got discovered on MySpace as a at the time I was uh, plus size, so I was a plus size model for about a year. And I, I didn't love it, but it was good money. And I would kind of like do pinup stuff, which I hated, or um, I would do like merch for bands. I needed to show what an extra large T-shirt looked like. But anytime I'd be on set, there'd be like a creative person, whether it's a photographer or a hair and makeup person, or even someone that was there to dress. And they'd be like, "Ugh, we got the fat girl," and it made me feel. Am I allowed to swear? Yeah, of course. Made me feel really shitty about myself. Um, And so I really just didn't want to do it anymore. And I was like, well, I don't want to be a theater teacher if it's plus-size modeling thing sucks, and I'm never going to be skinny enough to be a straight-size model, and I don't like it that much. I don't know what I'm going to do. And I got a call from a family friend who is a musician that also acts. She's like... I'm doing this play about Patsy Cline's life. Do you want to do my wardrobe coordinating for it? It's six weeks and it's $2,000. And at the time, I was like, multiple thousands? Right. Wow. Not thinking it's six weeks. And <laughs> in the grand scheme of things, that's nothing. But I was like, yeah, let's let's do it. So I did wardrobe coordinating for this show called Always Patsy Cline for like six weeks. And basically, I needed to be able to know stage left and stage right, which the theater background and then know how to handle vintage clothing, which I collected. And that was about it. I learned everything on set. I lied so much through that gig. <laughs> I was not 21. I was 18. And they were like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, she's, yeah she, you're 21, right? And I'm like, mm-hmm. Holy. Uh, Yeah. Part of that is you need to have uh, vodka in your wardrobe kit. So I waited outside. <laughs> I waited outside the liquor store to be like, "Hey, can you buy me vodka?" But it's for work. I promise. Oh, uh, I whatever very well. It was so good, and you need you need vodka to like put in a spray bottle to spray the costumes down with every night so they don't get funky. But it was like, no, it's for work, really. Um, so I did that for six weeks, and I was so bad at it that I like had to. Sn- this is pre-smartphone. I snuck into my stage manager's office and Googled how to use a steamer. I, I didn't know how to They're Like, can you steam this? I'm like, yeah, yeah, uh-huh. Sure, no well, problem. I can totally steam it. Yeah. How the fuck are you use a steamer? So I Googled it. That's I learned awesome. everything. No one knew any different. And at the end of the six weeks, I was like, that was the most fun. I really enjoyed this because I, I can be wrong clothes and music, which are two of my, like, great passions in life. And then I'm like, this is going to be real crappy to go back and wait tables. Like, this is going to suck going home smelling like garlic again every single night. And the stage, yeah, we all been there. The stage manager called me the next week and said, hey, do you want to come back and do this other gig? And it was just like these one-off nights where it'd be like um, local wardrobe for all the artists that came through this venue. So like I've done laundry for some pretty big names, not to brag, but they're not glamorous jobs. It's just doing laundry and sewing on buttons and that kind of thing. But one, I got to be helpful. Two, I got to be around music. And three, I got to be around really cool clothes. So I was Totally down for it. Yeah. And from that, the smaller bands that would open up for the big names would go, you know, you you can hang, you've got a good vibe, you've got good style. Are do you style too? And I'm like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally. Just like I steam and I'm 21. Like <laughs> so I I figured a lot of it out. And what I started to realize is kind of in the first year of doing it, that if you were a woman and you were over a certain size people treated you like shit if you were a musician. So I would have all these women that were like, yeah, I don't know if you're going to be able to dress me. I'm like a size eight. I'm, I'm huge because other people had said that about them. So I kind of combined my love of music and my knowledge of it because if you love music and you love clothes, you can kind of figure out how they're supposed to go together. And my knowledge of body types and my love of just kind of making people feel better and I made that into a business. And that's how we're here. Dude,
0: that's that's so awesome. Like, seriously, like, I'm clapping for you on this end because that's, that's so... Thank you. That's, that's such a cool story. And, like, the fact that you didn't, like, really know what you were doing, for lack of a better term. You no, out, no idea. But you did it anyway. Like, that's that's so fucking awesome.
1: There's that uh, Tina Fey expression, say yes and figure it out later. And that's how I live my life. Awesome. Where I'm like, yeah, hmm I can totally do that. hmm Yep. And then, like, figured figure it out.
0: So, what what would you say is, like, your... Do you have, like... Is there, like... I, I don't know anything about the style. Yeah. Lab. I know nothing. So, is there, like, a different... Like, do people have different niches that they style for, or... kind of Typically, what's,
1: what's um, so, I dress mostly musicians, but I also... I'm rare in the fact that, like, I style regular people. So, a lot of stylists you'll recognize... Um, they only dress actors, or they only dress singers, or they only dress um, men, or they only dress women. So it's very rare to find someone that does all of the above. Mm-hmm. And then it's also really rare to find someone that styles like everyday people as well as celebrities. So I do it all, but everyone kind of has their own little niche they like to fall into. Okay.
0: Do you have like a specific type of clothing you prefer, or the? I, like I said, I know nothing about the, the styling world. So
1: yeah, a lot of my stuff, there are certain stylists that you see and you see their work and all their clients kind of look the same. Sure. And I hate that. So I definitely try to take like a personal approach to every single person and approach it differently. And a lot of people on my TikTok lives will ask me these style questions. Like, uh, what is your favorite jean?" And I'm like, well for what person like what's their size what is their body type what are their everyday needs like because it's different for every single person so I'm definitely more of like a let's figure out those those specific needs and address them as opposed to here's this like broad stroke for everybody
0: that's that's awesome I like I like that you you're able to sort of treat everyone as an individual, I guess. And yeah. Of, Cause they should be. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I, like I'm saying, I feel like a lot of times when I see fashion things, especially me, like being a plus size gentleman, you know, Yeah. um, it's, it's difficult like finding stuff. It really is. And I, I was someone who I wasn't big my whole life. Not until I was an adult. Right. And mm-hmm. finding stuff was really fucking hard. I didn't realize Yeah. It, it was, it was amazing. You know, like my fiance would tell me like, you know oh yeah it's hard finding whatever whatever and I okay whatever and then mm-hmm. uh, one day I'm like oh I, I don't know what to wear and what I yeah want I, they don't have so cool this is yeah
1: and then you're like I have this idea in my head of what I want but I don't know where to find it right yeah it's um and what's interesting is that America in general like we are the much like the majority of us are plus size at this point mm-hmm. and we have so few options for the majority of people, but it also goes back to like what they, they market high fashion to women. There's, I'm not going to bore all of your listeners. There's 13 different. Oh, body I lost, types you
0: there. I, I lost So you, a woman baby.
1: can be, can you still hear me? Yeah.
0: yeah I, I lost okay. you at, at 13 something.
1: Okay. So there are 13 different body types that women can be.
0: Okay.
1: And obviously some are more prevalent than others supermodels or models that sell you clothes are 2%. Like that body type wow. is 2%. And that's not, that's not being like, oh my God, it's 2%. It's genuinely 2% of the population is that specific body type. So they're taking that 2% and they're marketing to 98% of women. God, that's so and shitty. I know. And then the clothes are cut on that 2%. And like the clothes are made for the 2%. And what it does is it makes women feel shitty about themselves because they don't look like the model. And then they can sell more stuff to us so it's the same way for men too there's just like two aesthetics that men can be as opposed to one to be uh fashionably acceptable
0: they either be super in shape or super uh dapper (laughs) like this big
1: like androgynous beautiful cheek bony but yeah that's it and that's very few people actually are that size and that's done on purpose
0: Oh, yeah, that, it makes totally makes sense. Just uh, yeah, uh not really anything I've ever thought of. It's kind of cool to hear it, like anything that I've thought coming from someone who's in the industry and a professional that does it, like yeah. saying that as well. It's, it's kind of...
1: It, nice. The big thing that I realize when I work with people, like regular people, they're like, oh, I just felt like the industry was telling me that I sucked. I'm like, oh, no, they are. But I'm just telling you, like, here's a scientific backing it up as opposed to like, no, you just are a terrible person. clothes aren't for you.
0: Do you have like a specific story or person that you styled that was like a really, one that you'd like really enjoyed or really liked doing? I
1: like the majority of my clients a lot. And I end up becoming friends with a lot of them too. So, um, let's see the, the big thing that I like to do is it's with all of my clients is that the big thing that we don't put into perspective is that a lot of people view not having good style as like this moral failure. And in reality, it's like, it's societal programming. It's lack of access to either funds or the pieces that you want in person or um, like there's, there's so many factors that go into why someone does not enjoy getting dressed in the way that they feel is representative of who they are. And I like helping people figure that out, like that aha moment where it's like, oh, I'm not fucking crazy. I, (laughs) this is like set up for me to fail. Okay, cool. Once I know that, then I can change it. And it's kind of like being like a fashion psychologist. And I like that part of it. So I, I like the getting nerdy and helping people figure out why things are hard and that's what pretty much every client that I have, it's very very rarely, rarely will I have a client come to me and not have some other kind of psychological issue that's making it hard for them to get dressed. So I like putting all those pieces together.
0: That's awesome.
1: And like you... fashion, Nancy Drew, <laughs> Peyton Dale and the mystery of the mommy issues, <laughs> Peyton Dale and the standardized sizing caper. Like there's, there's so much room here.
0: This needs to be a book series. I know. I'm here for it. Well, you it's have all- the, you have the show, though. You have the show. I
1: do. I yeah. do have the show. So I got discovered on TikTok, which is the weirdest thing to say, because at the beginning of the pandemic, my tailor was like, you should get on TikTok. You'd kill it. And I'm like, I'm not getting on that app where there's 16-year-old girls in crop tops twerking. And here we are having a conversation. Um, this company called Bespoke TV found me, and they're doing I hate this term. This term makes me want to vomit influencer television. I still don't call myself an influencer. I I think it's a gross term because that makes me feel like I'm just influencing you to buy crap that you don't need. But they found me and they're like, you approach fashion through such a different lens because most people... um, My lovely husband calls them hags with bags shows where it's like, here's my new $3,000 purse that I bought to carry nothing. It's going to sit on my shelf. Here are all the features that I like about it. It's like um, the rig rundown of purses, (laughs) if you will. (laughs) And um, I, I try to make it like, I don't have a huge walk-in closet. Uh, You hear my dogs in the background. Like I actually talk to people uh, that are real people and I try to get people excited about clothes again in a way that I don't think has really been a thing for a while. So they liked my approach, and they invited me to do a web series. So I have a TV show called The Peyton Project, and it airs on like um, it airs on Bespoke TV, but it's on Roku. But it's also on like regular cable in Germany, in Africa, and like a lot of other places. So when I tell people like, yeah, I'm big in Africa, I'm like, no, no, I actually like <laughs> am like I'm one of the bigger shows on bespoke TV in Africa like come on <laughs> you haven't heard I know I had two period. friends in high school but I have a show in Africa I promise <laughs> so that was really cool because I I get to make fashion and style accessible to regular people which is something that I think we all deserve
0: absolutely i i love the show by the way Um, oh thank you yeah the whole first season was very fun to watch it was it was just like watching your tiktoks just a little longer you know well and and that's the
1: other thing too is like you would not be someone that they would put a targeted audience for for like a style show and i have so many guys that are like i learned so much from from your denim episode, I learned so much. From your Taylor episode, like I learned so much, and that's what I want is to get regular people excited about clothes.
0: Dude, I can tell you, I'm fucking clueless mm-hmm. when it comes to clothes. Like, that's okay. You've, you've given me like I think two or three pieces of advice that I've taken to heart, and they've worked. <laughs> Thank you, by the way. But like, yeah, when it comes to clothes, I worked for—I'll uh, just say their name—Stitch Fix back mm-hmm. in the day. Yes. Yeah. When that was before that, like. Literally, I was like t-shirt and jeans, and then mm-hmm. like, gym shorts. I would go out. Like, I would never wear anything else.
1: Worthy Why do you that? think that is? Uh, I mean, obviously, a lot watch just are... turned into a session. Hey, no, it's cool. That's that's what we're here for. It's...
0: <laughs> no, it's like a... who
1: hurt you? Show me on the doll where the jeans hurt you.
0: Well, I will tell you. When I saw Justin Timberlake in that all denim thing in the early two thousands, 2000s... yeah, no, that was traumatizing for a lot of us. I hear you. I I wanted it. I was like, that looks great. That looks amazing. Like 11-year-old me, 12-year-old me was like, that is the coolest thing ever. That is sophistication. That is the
1: peak of sophistication right there. (laughs) (laughs) That is so funny.
0: No, I I think I wore that stuff. Uh, A lot of it was I gained weight um, when I got older. So Mm -hmm. that's probably a big part of it is comfort is not exactly easy when you're big. If it's not, you know, athletic athleisure is what it is Mm -hmm. athletic wear yeah um so yeah that that was a a lot of it and then a lot of it too is just I didn't really like feel comfortable um yeah my my body the way that it was I was used to being like in shape and athletic and stuff and then I just didn't care.
1: (laughs) A lot of people go through that where they have some kind of body change where either it's a gain or a loss or um, I have several clients that have gone through cancer and have, you know, breast cancer and had their breast cut off or they've gone through some other kind of change to their body that is drastic and they almost just go, I don't care. I don't want to do it anymore. I don't want to get dressed. This is not, and they kind of live in this mentality where it's like, this is not my forever body. So I don't want to dress it. I don't want to buy clothes for this body, and that's really sad because you have to like live in this body and like right. this moment. And it's like by not putting clothes on it that make it feel good, you're just almost telling your body like, you're not good enough for clothes, and we're not going to have this conversation.
0: I, I feel like so many people are so mean to themselves when it comes to their body. Yeah, like it's, it's, it's they are wild, man. Like I, I, me too. I'm not, you know, I'm not immune to that, but it's like it's weird. I noticed. So I've lost probably about 100 pounds or so in the last year. And I noticed when I was losing weight, like, immediately my my self-confidence went up because, you know, I was, Mm -hmm. you know, dropping weight or whatever. But then I realized, like, how fucking mean I was to myself when I was really big. Yeah. Like, like the things I would say to myself, like, oh, I'd be in the mirror and be like, you fat fuck, and then walk away, like. And then I'm thinking back now, I'm like, why would I do that? Why why am I saying that to myself? This is so weird.
1: Yeah, if you wouldn't say it to somebody else, like, why would exactly. you say it to yourself? But it's, it's also, uh, you could say that all day long. And I always tell my clients that your logic brain and your emotional brain are two completely different things. Like, we logically know that you're not a size two. Emotional brain still wants to be that. So let's break that down and ex- and explore why that's a thing. Um, and I also kind of start my sessions with my clients out by saying, "Your body is the least interesting thing about this whole process." I like this. We're going to talk about your style. This is just the vessel that we put your pants
0: on. That's awesome. Yeah. Do you, do you have any um, like like therapy experience? Or like, uh, oh yeah, know, as, as like a, being a like like taking therapy or not not going yes. to therapy,
1: but yeah. oh no, I've gone to. Yes, my oh, therapist yeah. makes lots of money. Um, so I. <laughs> I, uh, all yeah, I see a trauma-based therapist, so that's been a little bit of that along, and it's my first session that I do these Zoom sessions, and they're a package of three, and that first session I always joke is, like, your meet the therapist session where we, like, I'm like, what's your trauma? Let's just get into it, um, but she's helped me been able to, like, connect the dots with myself so that I'm able to connect it better with other people, um, I have done, life coach work, I've done studies on color psychology, fabric psychology, body language, um, and then also just, like, doing this for 10 years, I just start to realize, like, oh, there's patterns. Let's point them out so we can correct them.
0: So, yeah, that that's, that's interesting, because I, I don't really, I mean, it totally makes sense, like, having like the, the psychological part of it. I just never yeah. really thought about that. That's kind of crazy that you're able to recognize that and kind of help people not necessarily overcome it, but let say, look, it's okay. It's you can...
1: we at least call it out and recognize it. And we put a yeah. name to it. And, uh, the, the big reason, it's kind of like why a lot of people with that expression that like a lot of diets have a terrible success rate. Sure. And it's because they're just like teaching people how to cut things out. Um, a lot of Stitch Fix clients and a lot of regular styling clients. Um, I work with a lot of women and two men, actually, who have worked with stylists before in the past, and it has not worked out in their favor. And it's because they're just putting a Band-Aid on this problem. You know, not style is a symptom of whatever else is going on in inside of you. So if you're just wearing a sweat like wearing sweatpants all the time, Nine times out of ten, it's because you don't feel comfortable in the body that you have, and you don't want to feel the skin that you're moving around in. Okay. Uh, if you're wearing clothes that are too tight, it's you're holding on to this previous incarnation of yourself, and you don't want to admit that you've evolved in any way, shape, or form. Uh, if you wear clothes that are too revealing, if you wear clothes that are too cover it, too big. Like there's all these things that go into it. Oh, and I kind of, I kind of lost thing to you. Go, Here's the jeans that you actually need to wear. But are they going to do it if you don't address the psychological part of it?
0: Oh, there you are. Okay. Sorry, you cut out for just a minute there. Oh, you're fine. (laughs) I heard uh, it's a psychological thing. Um, Yeah, I mean,
1: yeah, it's um, just having this knowledge and this experience of watching what other people go through. There are certain clues that I have to see where this person is mentally. So you, I look at it like this person is bleeding out. They're clearly dealing with something and it's manifesting itself in this style problem, whether it's you're wearing things that are too big and you're wanting to hide, uh, nine times out of 10, there's some physical trauma to the body that happened with that. Um, you're wearing clothes that are too tight or too revealing. There's also psychological trauma on the other end of the spectrum. Or they don't want to admit that they've gained weight, that their body has changed. There's been an evolution. They don't want to admit that. So they'd rather just kind of hold on to this painful, like a, a genuinely painful thing, like where you're spilling out of your pants or your clothes are too tight because they don't they don't want to admit it to themselves.
0: Sure.
1: Uh, there's, there's so many things. Um, people that wear things that are almost costume-like. They don't want to actually present to the world who they actually are or... There's so many, and I can recognize them in an instant, but if you don't address that, then me putting you in the right pair of jeans is going to do nothing.
0: Yeah, it almost seems like you're, um, what was that show that used to come on? Like the nice version of the, uh, what the hell is it called? What Not to Wear Yeah. back in the day. It seems like you're like the non-toxic version of that.
1: Yeah, because what what they did... One, they that was a terrible time for fashion. The 2010s <laughs> were atrocious. Um, and two, there's no... We're already mean enough to ourselves without being mean to each other. Yeah. And what I hated about that show was they never really addressed, like, why that... I, I'm thinking of this one episode in particular. This one woman, she had, like, the big blonde hair. She wore everything Hello Kitty. Her fake boobs were pushed up to, like... Jesus, and she dressed and talked like a child. Oh. And I went back and watched that episode like two or three years ago. I'm like, that woman was sexually traumatized and put money on it. For sure. And lo and behold, I looked her up and that's what it was. And it's, and I'm like, I've seen that a million times. Like, mm-hmm. if they would have gotten her into a therapist, bless you, if they'd have gotten her into a therapist or like someone to deal with that first, then that would have helped them with their mission on dressing the outside instead of going you dress like a slutty toddler here's a pantsuit like that's the gotcha stuff. that you used to do. gotcha you look like a whore that's also a toddler here is your ann taylor pantsuit And the other thing about that is that they would give you a budget of $5,000, which seems like a lot of money, but they were in New York and then half that budget would go to tailoring. So you end up with these pieces that that person can't actually wear. So it's like they can wear them, but they can't, they can't replicate it at home. So I try to make a lot of my, a lot of my clients, like, here's what you can actually wear. Sure. Here you go. But I do like the woman from that um, that show, Stacey London. She's actually got another show that came out. I want to say like five or six years ago called Love, Lust, or Run, and they're all I saw on. Saw that one.
0: Is that the one where they yeah. show people like a picture of the person on the street? Yeah, and my, my I mean it's still. My watches these, so I don't. I, yeah, yeah. Uh huh. Seen it. Yeah. Sure, she watches them. I mean, I watched them too, but I'm not mm-hmm. going to necessarily put it on. Or yeah. Or it anyway.
1: And what is interesting <laughs> about that, that show, it's still kind of mean, because I still... And, and I think that those shows really just don't do a lot of fashion people uh, justice because then everyone thinks that we're bitches. But what I liked about that show is they brought in a psychological element. Like, you're not presenting in a way that you think you are. Sure. And we're going to pull other people on the street to kind of give us... An idea, and then they would they would take elements of that person's style and tweak it. Where it's like you like leopard print and high heels. Well, instead of looking like a stripper, here's like a leopard pencil skirt and a decent length and a red shoe that doesn't make you look like you're a streetwalker. So there's that, which I appreciated a little bit more, but it's still
0: toxic as hell. (laughs) I mean, to be fair, what isn't toxic on TV, right? I mean, why are we watching it? Exactly, you want to see exactly. Yeah, I do. (laughs) <laughs> i like that hey i mean i said it yeah it's, it's entertainment right at the end of the day I, I that's showbiz it. baby <laughs> there's uh another thing i wanted to ask you about because it's um my teenage self wants to ask okay the your voice acting career
1: with the mm-hmm. uh,
0: player the cable guy what was that like how did you find that out you told me about it <laughs> Oh, I did. But I'm like, I'm like, how deep of
1: out. a dive did you do? Okay. Um, and I have a funny story about this too. So yeah. uh, I live in Nashville and I grew up in the music business, but like in a very weird kind of outdated music business. So my mom is a songwriter, my stepdad is a has been country singer. Who had a lot of hits and like had a very cool career, but like by the time I met him was not cool at all. And then my grandfather, my mom's dad uh, worked for Conway Twitty as a manager. Uh So that was, but that was also like it had, it had the prime had gone. So I knew about the eighties and nineties music business, but I don't, I didn't know a ton about what it's like before I started working in it. Now. Um, So my stepdad is friends with Larry, the cable guy. And he's friends with a lot of very weird people. (laughs) Um, And he got asked to do like a cameo on one of his like Christmas records. That was, you know, some kind of like I, but when they were still making comedy CDs and he was in the studio and they needed a bratty teenager. And he's like, well, my stepdaughter acts, let's just throw her in there. So I was there and I did the part. And I, I got my first check, like my first ever paycheck for this, this gig. Um, I'd worked other jobs. They paid me in cash or like, it was direct deposit or whatever. And, um, I, (laughs) I remember opening the envelope and no one in my family actually calls me Peyton. It's, they usually call me just pay. And a lot of my friends do too. And I remember getting the envelope and opening it up. And I went, can I cash this? And my mom went, what do you mean? I'm like, well, it has my nickname on it. I I hadn't moved my thumb. It said to the order of pay. My (laughs) thumb was covering like, you know, pay to the order of. I'm like, oh, it's not cool. (laughs) Um, So I got a check. It was a check. Um, Put it in the bank and got a tank of gas with it and moved on with my life. But it's weird because I'm on... IMDB can never get my name spelled right. And then after, um, getting married and like going by my married professional name, there's like eight IMDB pages with like various things that I've done scattered. So like, cause normally it's wardrobe stuff. And I had someone ask me that, I'm like, what did you Google? They're like, I went on your IMDB page and saw you're Larry, the capable guy. But it, I just happened to be there. um, not so my cool highest though. paying acting gig, but I'm on some, I, I don't have a copy of it, so I don't know where it is, but I play a bratty teenage daughter.
0: I, I mean, that that means that I, I heard your voice before I knew you, so <laughs> there we go. My 14-year-old voice. I don't even remember the, the skit or anything, but I do remember I album.
1: I honestly don't remember
0: anything of it, so you
1: probably know more than
0: I do. I probably do. <laughs> I, I listened I listen to that album a lot when I was in high school. Yeah,
1: so he's friends with Larry the Cable Guy. Because Larry the Cable Guy was a big fan of his when he was growing up. So he, like, will wear um, T-shirts with my stepdad on it. Mm. And it's weird. Very weird. (laughs) Because he's not cool. I mean, he's cool, but he's not cool. He's like my dad. He's not, um, you know, he wasn't like Garth Brooks. So in my head, it's like, oh, yeah, he's a a working musician. I keep forgetting he has fans. So it's weird. It's very weird. Uh, My we were out to like, we did our Thanksgiving dinner. It was like me and Tobin, my husband, um, my sister and her husband, and then my mom and stepdad. And we had like people come up to him and like ask him about stuff. And I go, I keep forgetting. Like dad used to be somebody <laughs> it's weird, but that's how I got that gig.
0: That's super cool though. Like, I, yeah. I, I don't really know right whole place, lot of right people who've had, who've had like experiences like that from a young age. It's kind of, it's kind of
1: yeah. Hold on one sec.
0: <laughs> no problem.
1: We got to move the dog right place, right time. Yeah, it was like a $40 paycheck, but I I took it.
0: $40 for inflation that's like that's like $43 now. So
1: that's so that's so many more dollars now.
0: (laughs) You're right. Uh, Is that one Arrow?
1: This is Bo. Arrow Bo has decided that, yeah, they look alike. I sometimes I can't tell them apart.
0: (laughs) My dogs are two complete opposites. I have a small Jack Russell and then. A summer dog some of this some of that so. some of this some of that
1: yeah uh it's open stop recording so i think she's like
0: where is he where's he at <laughs> is he the he the favorite mm-hmm. me too yeah <clears throat> my fiance all the time is like the dogs don't love me i'm like but the cats do you're, you're good you got that going for you yeah <laughs> <laughs> i gotta tell you, you you seem like you've had a very interesting life it's kind of cool to hear a little more about it outside of like a one minute video. Yeah. um,
1: I I finally feel like I've kind of settled where I'm supposed to be in January. uh, It'll be five years styling on my own, like no other, no other job. I got fired from my last day job five years ago in January. And I did a lot of throwing things at the wall to see what stuck. And I'm very fortunate to have um, my family kind of, when I was 18, they were like, you're on your own, figure it out. And at the time, that seemed really unfair because, you know, you look around your left and your right and you've got, oh, my dad just bought me a house or my mom just helped me get a job here or whatever. And I'm so grateful mine did that in retrospect because it made me really scrappy and it made me work very hard. And it kind of made me who I am now because I, I have a different last name than everybody in my family. I don't throw their names around. Um, everything I got, I got on my own which uh, other than the Larry, the cable guy gig. (laughs) Um, So I I am grateful that I've had to kind of be this way and had to get really creative. And TikTok was part of that because, you know, all my gigs were in person with musicians. It's like, how am I, how am I going to make money? Like, how am I going to keep the lights on? This is a dual income household and we need both incomes to function. Like how, how do I make this work? And it, you know, TikTok just kind of blew up and I started just showing up and helping people and answering questions. And that turned into a, a gig, which is great. So I think that my upbringing made me scrappy and my upbringing made me, um, work extremely. Hard. Like I have a, I have a pretty strong work ethic for someone, uh, for a millennial, I think, <laughs> uh, I know we get a really bad rap. Um, but yeah, I, I think that I also think that having that as an upbringing and kind of seeing the ups and the downs of the entertainment industry sure. was really great too because some years were really good and some years were not so great. And just kind of knowing to expect that was really um, beneficial because a lot of my friends that get into entertainment er, in any the aspect, they go, this is a great year. It's going to always be great. I'm like, yeah, that's cute. Like, have
0: fun with that.
1: Have fun with that, about that. I, so I kind of knew there were going to always be ups and downs. And I was also... Um, they, I don't think they still understand what I do, but they're very supportive. (laughs) So that's great. Uh, when I, when I said I want to drop out of school, no one was mad at me. Let's put it that way. That's good. Yeah. So I'm very grateful
0: for that. And have you lived in Nashville? the whole time or so yeah so I grew up
1: in a suburb of Nashville called Hendersonville which is about 30 minutes outside the city uh if you guys saw walk the line that's where Johnny Cash bought his like lake house and in the 70s and 80s that was where all the country singers lived so when my mom's family migrated to Nashville that's where they settled was like the suburb with all the country singers so um yeah I grew up there and then moved to downtown Nashville when I was 18 so that was my version of like, I'm going to the big city because I was too chicken shit to go to New York or LA. <laughs> hey,
0: it worked out though.
1: It did. Uh, I'm very fortunate that it worked out. If I had not landed the gig at the venue, which then would have led me to so much more work. I probably would have tried one of the two. I don't know if I would have survived, but I would have tried it. <laughs> LA. I'm not as brave as people that do
0: that. I guess. LA is a bitch. I, I can't speak to New York, but <sighs> LA is, uh, whew, it's something else. Yeah. That's that's a city. Let me just.
1: It's not my favorite city. It's not.
0: (laughs) I uh, I just did. I'm sorry. Go ahead.
1: I just did an interview for my show with a friend of mine who lives out there, and uh, we were both kind of talking about how it's it's incredibly like toxic to just kind of be in that fashion and music world all the time because it's like you're almost expected to have the Botox on the lips and uh the you if you don't have the right Chanel bag you're out but then simultaneously you only wear athleisure yeah so uh every time I'm there I feel like a fish out of water whereas New York I feel very at home so maybe I should have settled for New York instead of here (laughs) everyone's wearing all black they're all in a hurry they all are caffeine dependent they all say fuck all the time it's great what's not to love (laughs) <laughs>
0: hey new york that's where it's at just too many damn people that's it it's true
1: i could say that for the rest of the world though there's too many damn people here or there's too many damn people everywhere
0: what's what's that been like in nashville because you're you're someone who's from that area so what's that mm-hmm. been like seeing it kind of grow i am one of those
1: get off my lawn people when it comes to new nashville uh one because i am third generation music business kid, but also on my real dad's side, I'm like eighth generation (laughs) Nashvillian. Like my ancestors came over from Germany and they were like, this is it. We're done. And when I did my ancestry, um, there's genuinely nothing else on my dad's side, Germany and Tennessee, and that's it. And, um, so I, I do feel this, like, I find myself defending it all the time because during its golden age, it was really spectacular. Sure. And I, re- I kind of, when I was coming into the world, it was kind of the tail end of that. So it's kind of like when people talk about like Savile Row in London, like in the sixties and Carnaby street and all that. Sure. Uh, but for music and there is so much history here and there's so much great art that was created. And it's something that I want to keep alive and I want to fight for and then you have new Nashville coming in and it's uh, the best way I can explain it is there was this really great pizza joint on music row on music row just that's the street it was on it's in the name and they built they had like great blues jams they would do like Allman Brothers nights because Nashville's not just country it's no. there's a rock scene there's all kinds of stuff um the music row condos Complained that the music was too loud. Motherfuckers. On Music Row, and they shut down. They, they shut down the pizza joint. Oh um, so you have stuff like that. And I, when the show Nashville came out, I know this is a very um, controversial thing to say. That was the worst thing that could have happened in Nashville. I believe it. I know a lot of my friends worked on the show. I know that it brought a lot of jobs here. It was the absolute worst thing that could happen because what happened is. Nashville is a musician's town. You have to be the... It's like uh, L.A. has all the best actors from all over the world. You know, oh, you're the best actor in Michigan. Okay, go to L.A. where you're just nobody. Um, Nashville used to be this, like, if you were a musician, you ended up here. And we we would get the best of the best. And what happened is that show made people think it was easy to move here. And um, I, I remember I watched an episode... And I made it through without blowing my brains out, um, which <laughs> is a medal for. You're wearing a friend shirt. It's kind of like people moving to New York after seeing friends.
0: Sorry, the, and, the, last, the last thing I heard you, you kind of broke up was oh. um, you got through it without blowing your brains out. Yes. That's I heard.
1: It's kind of like the friends phenomenon where it's like people move to New York thinking it was easy and you're going to get this like great apartment. Um, On the show Nashville, the hipster guys, they ended up with... Like, we got this really cute old house. It's, like, really cheap. It's this, like, flop house. Uh, was half a million dollars on the market. And then the guy opened up. He was, like, he got his streaming statement. He would, like, made $14 million on a song. And I'm, like, Beyonce <laughs> didn't make that. Beyonce did not make that for her record. Like, are you an idiot? So people were, were moving here by the droves, thinking that it was easy. And you ended up with this kind of like subpar musical landscape, whereas it used to be like, you're having, you know, you're getting coffee in the morning and that guy's on a Grammy award winning record. Like, that's what it used to be like. And then after the show came out, you had all the bachelorette parties. And that, those two things are, have been what have destroyed Nashville. Um, I know that there's a lot of money in it. There's a lot of tourists, but Broadway where all the honky tonks are, sure. I would rather eat a denim jacket than go down there and then pass it. Um, it's awful. And it's, these people that don't appreciate like they they wouldn't know Hank Williams if he punched them in the face. Uh, but they're going down to like the kid rocks, big ass honky tonk, which is the actual name of
0: the restaurant. I did
1: not just say that. Um,
0: I've been there with my mother. It it was thoughts and prayers.
1: Um, (laughs) and they're just kind of turning it into this, this joke of a city. So, um, I, I will, I love this city. I love the roots that it has. I love my friends and my community here. Uh, and I will defend it because I keep hoping that one day, like the show Nashville drove out all the musicians that were moving here. Because we also got, um, I say this as someone who married one of them, uh, we got a ton of musicians from LA that came here. And they're like, oh, I can live in Nashville and I can like have a life there and, you know, like a house and a family and whatever else and um,
0: afford food and
1: afford food. But we got those from everywhere. <laughs> Uh, Because they saw the show Nashville. Unfortunately, um, I married a very talented one (laughs) who actually (laughs) is a work Tobin's very talented, um, who belongs here and should be here and plays with bands here. But uh, the overcrowding has been all the people that had no business coming here. Just because your mommy says you're special and that you're good at playing guitar does not mean that you should move here. Please just hold out. We're very full right now. We're very
0: full. We'll put you on the waiting list, just
1: chill. Yeah, waiting list for Nashville. I want, at the peak of the Nashville show, at the peak of the show while it was still on the air, we were getting on average 94 people moving here a day. Fuck. Yeah. And, and then at not, one it's point... It's a very big city, right? No, it's not big at all. We no. were not uh, set up to handle no. the infrastructure. So um, we were something like 96% occupancy at one point. Wow. So that was fun. And then you, then you're kind of like, no, but... It really was great and it was awesome. And, and you feel like this lame kid who's like, maybe my parents will just stay together if I'm good. Maybe if I just talk about, you know, like if I just talk about like Patsy Cline a little bit more, it'll stick around. out. And there's still, I still get glimpses of it, especially working in wardrobe doing what I do. Um, and I, I'm getting these like little glimmers of hope of people like me who are fed up, but who are actually musicians. And I've, I style quite a few of them. So that's been... Nice and you're seeing like Margot Price is now a bigger deal and like that kind of stuff, but um as the native Nashville and like so native that it hurts, um it is it is really sad. You just kind of see it be destroyed by Kid Rock and all of his comrades. That's fuck that guy. Fuck that guy.
0: <laughs> I, I can relate because I, I lived in Austin for I lived in Austin for eight years, and it's a very similar thing there. Very similar. Yeah, there it's more like the artist. I mean, musicians too, but a lot of, of course. artists. You know, mm-hmm. it, was, it was a place where artists and musicians could go and like afford to live. and yeah. do what they loved, and then now it's like got seven hundred grand. Maybe you can get a starter home. Like,
1: oh, it's precious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's insane, and it's the people that don't respect the um, the heritage and the yeah. culture that goes along with it. Um, so yeah, that's really sad to me. But it's also what I'm noticing is that I feel like that is happening in art all over and in appreciation for art and the history that goes into it. Um, I did this TikTok video about the Met Gala and it went viral. And it was about this one dress that was created for uh, Bianca Jagger. Mm-hmm. And the theme of this year's Met Gala was America. And I'm really sad no one came as like a flaming dumpster that would have been <laughs> very on theme. And you're supposed to kind of go Crazy above and beyond with this kind of stuff. Right. So uh Cindy Crawford's daughter wore this dress. And everyone's like, oh my God, it was a Halston dress. If you know anything about that era of history, you can look at that and go, no, that's not all. that's like saying, um, wow, this rap is really, it's great. It's a it's a cover of a Bob Dylan song. It's like oh boy. those those two don't match. And the and this was on like Vogue.com saying, like, this is a copy of a Halston dress. And I'm going, it's a copy of a Dior dress. And I know that because Bianca Jagger also wore this dress to the Dior show. And if you just Google it, you can find it. And I know in the grand scheme of things, the dress that Cindy Crawford's daughter wore to the Met Gala doesn't mean shit. No, We survived a global pandemic. It doesn't mean anything. But what it means to me is that people who are in charge of things don't give a shit about the history and who put them in charge because what's going to happen in a hundred years when, you know, all of this is erased and we're not here anymore. Who's going to carry on the history and it's going to be nobody. And that's in, uh, music that's in fashion. That's in all other kinds of art. And that's in the history of, you know, here. And I just want people to give like at least three more shits. I
0: mean, totally agree. Yeah. Whatever you go on like your rants on TikTok or what you, I'm always like, dude. Me and you think the same way. Cause I'm like, yeah, yeah. No, I, I I usually agree with you, but like, I I, I noticed it. Well, we're we're around the same age, I think. I'm 33. Mm-hmm. I don't know how old. Yep, are. 30. Okay, yeah, we're around the same age. Um When we were kids, I noticed cars was the first mm-hmm. thing. Like cars in the 80s and 90s, late 80s, and 90s. Yeah. Like, they weren't like they were in the 50s, these pieces of art that you drove around. Yeah. All of a sudden, in the 90s, you just saw a bunch of, like, cars that people were just going to throw away. And the first Mm -hmm. thing I thought was, in 100 years, are people still going to be looking for, like, the 1950 Chevy, or are they going to look for a 1990 Cavalier? Like.
1: Well, and I made a video um, a couple weeks ago about the phenomenon of fast fashion being very similar, because what is happening is that you're already seeing there's these things called micro trends where it's like trends are usually like they are a 20 year cycle. And that's why we see mom jeans come back and so on and so forth. And that's why we're going to see low rise jeans coming back. Cause it's a 20 year thing. Uh, thrift stores are already full of micro trends from two months ago. Yikes. Yeah. So a little history fashion used to have two seasons back when it, like the fifties and sixties, this, this changed in really in the eighties, there were two seasons, there were spring, summer and fall, winter. So you would, in the fall, you would go see the spring shows to go see what you wanted to buy and then vice versa. In the fast fashion world, so what the majority of us are offered, there are 52 seasons.
0: Uh, 52?
1: 52 seasons. So that means these fashion houses are having to a, produce like one a, a week. week. Mm-hmm. Zara, H&M, Forever 21, um... All, all those are doing fifty-two. A Fashion Nova and Shein are like the big ones, and fuck those companies. Um, they're they're getting the most. So what we're getting is we're getting more product push out at lower quality, and they're not designed to last because there's going to be a season in a week. So our generation is also going to have a problem with vintage clothing. I made this big video about how vintage clothing is not going to be here in. 20 years when it is considered vintage. Um, the sweater I have on right now is from the late seventies. It's still in great shape. Um, my necklace is from the fifties. My pants are from two years ago and my pants are already starting to stretch out too much. And, My shoes that I bought, uh, which are a decent quality shoe were already scuffed up. Whereas my boots that I have from the sixties still look brand new. So things are not meant to last. They're meant to be sold, uh, at a much quicker rate at a much lower price point. So it used to be like going out to buy a new sweater was like, I need a new sweater. The sweater is going to take me through the next few years of my life and then I'll pass it along to whoever needs it. We're not going to have that anymore. And You'll notice this too with like, if you have a t-shirt that's new and you wash it a couple times, it's completely disintegrated.
0: Yeah.
1: 100%. Whereas there's a drawer full of t-shirts from the seventies that I have that are all in good shape. If you like mend a couple holes and they still have their shape and they still aren't stretched out and they're not super faded. Uh, we're not going to have, we're not going to have the fashion to look back on as far as history goes. We're going to have a ton of pictures of people's grandmothers in mirrors making duck faces but we're not gonna we're not gonna visit phys- this is the first generation where we're not gonna have any physical textiles to pass along to other generations because they will have all worn out
0: you can't even make quilts out of stuff these days
1: no there's no way i mean and i have um, i've got two quilts from my great-grandmother and it's all my dad and my aunt's clothes from the 70s which they'll be here till the end of time um but yeah you're you're not going to have it anymore and with thrift stores being filled up of all this fast fashion it's just going to keep cycling and it's, it causes a lot more waste too. And I don't want to get on my soapbox about the like ecological problem with fast fashion, but, uh, it's, it's really sad because it just shows you that not like once again, I feel like I'm old man yells at cloud, but it's, um, it just shows you that people don't really care to preserve anything about this time in history. And they don't care about
0: where we've come from. That's so sad. I know yeah old man yells at cloud well i mean because even i think about things like my grandpa he had like a certain uniform that he wore every day and i have one of Mm -hmm. his shirts and he had that shirt for fucking ever yeah and i'm never gonna wear it but have no but you have it yeah and that's i mean it's something he he just wore beige shirt brown slacks every single day right that was
1: but if you have a child and that child has a child there's going to be nothing of yours that can be passed along because the quality is not going to be there
0: it's just i don't know that's, that's so weird it's it's mm-hmm. i don't know it, one of those things like getting older like they tell you it's changing you just don't think that would happen so i'm
1: just yelling at clouds all day long i ba- basically get what i always tell people is, i got into the fashion industry to blow it up because I saw that it was gross, I saw that it did not like people over a certain size, and I saw that it didn't really care about its consumers and it didn't care, like care about the environment at all. So I'm like, okay, let me in. We're gonna Trojan horse this thing.
0: Have you ever thought about going into like the uh, the design part of things? No, <laughs> um,
1: or is I a totally have designed different animal. It's a totally different thing. Um, my business partner and my tailor and I share a workspace. And she is in the manufacturing side of things and it has turned me off of it so much. Um, I designed one-off things like we, we collaborated on a jacket for John Bon Jovi, which was great. Ooh. Um, I came with the ideas. She came with a technical, that was it. But as far as doing an entire line, no, not, not for the next five years. <laughs> it is such a, in like an, in, it makes, it gives me anxiety just like thinking about it right now. Um, but I do custom stuff quite a bit and it's, uh, it's one-off things that are easy, but right now with the supply chain being the way it is, uh, because of COVID and everything else going on with it, it has been, there's a velvet shortage. There's, um, a zipper problem. Like there's, there's so many things like you could not pay me to go into it right now. I would love to eventually be able to have a line, but I think that is, way off in the future and the line i'd want is basically like solving all these problems that manufacturing already messes up to begin with fair enough so no not right now (laughs) i have i have a tv show i've got a tiktok i've got a book i have my in-person stuff i cannot handle the pressure of knowing that we don't have fabric right now
0: so what are what are some brands people should look out for then? Because I know, like me, I have no idea what to look for for quality. Um, yeah, I, I just assume if it costs a hundred bucks or more, it's probably good. Of course, good, but uh, I
1: have and no idea. And oftentimes, with that, with the price point you're paying for the placement in a store, and you're pl- you're paying for like the name brand. Um, I did an entire episode on this because I could go into detail about this forever. I did an entire episode on this with my tailor. Um, of the Peyton project. So that's really easy to find. Um, and we talk about um, like hardware and zippers and fabric being cut on the right place. Like she goes into full detail about it and she does it so much better than I do because she works with fabric all the time. So go check that out. Um, but it's it's a lot of things. It's kind of like going to buy a house or a car at some point okay. where you, you got to kick a lot of tires. <laughs> I'm the crazy person that when I'm in the store, I'm like, okay, let's what's the, i have the tape measure and am like let's you know i'm i take forever to make a decision on buying something so well,
0: what, what was you it know said in, i remember in your show you said something it's it's like dating or something like it that. is
1: finding the right pair of jeans is like dating okay yeah you have to get the right amount of stretch you got to get the right fit and it it's all different for each and every individual person
0: Ooh, that's a lot <laughs> yeah it's a
1: lot it's a lot that's why I'm employed.
0: Well, Peyton, you are awesome. I love all your thank TikToks. you. You're one of my favorite people online to watch.
1: You're one of my favorite people online, so thank, thank you. you. Yeah, I watch um, you when I'm sick of dealing with all my other stuff.
0: You just watch my stupid videos and me. Yeah, yelling at things on the TV. It's my favorite. <laughs> It's my absolute favorite. I try to make mindless entertainment because I'm usually trying to look for mindless entertainment. Thank you. You're, you're
1: much needed in this world. So thank you very much. And thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, of course. Thanks for coming on. Um, Of course. Do you want to tell people where they can find you online? Tell them about the show.
1: Everywhere. It's the Peyton project. P-A-Y-T-O-N. So Instagram, TikTok, um, YouTube, and the show. It's all the Peyton project. I made it a one-stop shop.
0: Super easy. Awesome. well, Thank you again so much for doing Thank you. I hope thank that you, you for having me. Yeah, of course. Yes, I would love that. And um, yes, thank you all for listening.
1: Thanks, Go guys. Out.